Hello, hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to a new episode of Fandom Talk. Uh, this is our podcast uh, done by us, the Fandom Correspondents. This is me, your host for this episode. Uh, my name is Al, also uh, referred to as Red Lanyard on our various things we do. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I'm really excited about this episode. As you can see from the title of the episode, this is a new series that I am leading and spearheading with my very good friend and our faithful um, general, if you will, of the Phantom Correspondence. Um, here with me today is Jacob Fans Hardesty. Um, Jacob, on a scale of one to ten, how how are you doing? And also, how excited are you for this series? I ten out of ten on both, brother. I mean. I've wanted to do like a Star Wars segment or talk about different Star Wars things pretty much since we started the actual podcast. Um, I was actually just thinking about it the other day um, because I was rewatching one of the older movies and I was like, why did we not cover this on a podcast? And I was like, oh, wait, we've it seems like it's been five years since we started doing this part of Phantom Correspondence. But um, in actuality, we haven't actually talked about Star Wars that much except for The Mandalorian. Um, because we didn't have a podcast yet. So, yeah. But I am very excited to jump in on this with you. Um, you and I have, of course, just been talking about random Star Wars things the last couple of years, just randomly as we've started reading more um, old canon and new canon books and just kind of jumping into the old EU, which is where this whole thing came from and discussing, is it the EU or... Ew. So yeah, I'm yes, I'm very, I'm very, very excited. Uh, he said, he said the thing, everybody. He said it. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, as Jacob, um, as Jacob has so aptly put, uh, this is a new series we're doing um, for Star Wars. Um, I concur with Jacob. It's kind of, um, um, it's kind of unbelievable that we haven't done a concentrated um, Star Wars series on the podcast before. Um, now because like all of us are very big Star Wars fans, um, but um, this is a new series. We're going to be doing it every month um, at least. If y'all enjoy it, then let us know. We may even do it um, a little more often. Just holler at us. But um, this is a Star Wars EU or EU review. Um, that was a that name is a joint effort for me and Jacob. So you can't blame just either of us um, on it. We have to blame both of us. And um, the whole idea behind it, um, as Jacob has kind of alluded to, is that we're both Star Wars fans. Um, a couple years ago, um, I decided to hop into some of the expanded universe stuff in Star Wars. That's what the EU stands for, for people who don't know. Um, started to jump into some of um, the books, um, the comics that have come out before. And um, Jacob had had read a lot uh, before me, but when I told him that I was doing that, he wanted to jump into it um, and get back to it as well. And uh, most recently, we've had um, this new onslaught of brand new lore, um, new established um, Star Wars canon that is official as of um, the Disney takeover. Um, ton of stuff has come out. Um, tons and tons of stuff came out beforehand. So we thought it'd be fun to explore some of the stuff outside of just um, the Star Wars films. Um, so we're going to be talking about books, going to be talking about comics, going to be talking about video games, all kinds of Star Wars sources of various lore. And we're going to talk about it, talk about how we feel about it, talk about some of the impacts some of these products have had. And then 
we're going to do a little thought exercise at the end that you all might enjoy. I'll go into that a little bit uh, later on as we approach it. But thank you so much for joining in on our new Star Wars series. We're both really excited about this. Now, um, for our first episode, um, first official episode, uh, we're doing a new book, uh, part of the new um, canon. Uh, this is for Star Wars Light of the Jedi. It's the first book in uh, the High Republic series of books uh, being written right now. Uh, there are three published books now in the series, and there are two more coming after that, I believe, if my math is right. Um, and so we are reading the first one, again, it's called Light of the Jedi. It's written by Charles Soule. Now, for our comic book fans out there, Charles Soule is a name that might ring a few bells. Um, that's because he's written um, um, some comics in the past as well. He's written some books, some comics. Um, he had a Daredevil run that was really good. Um, he wrote uh, the Darth uh, Vader title as well um, for a few years. So um, this is a person who's who's in it. He is he's familiar with fandom. He's familiar with uh, the sci-fi genre, and he's one of um, the several authors and writers who we'll be discussing in this that um, is kind of spearheaded on the new canon. Uh, for Star Wars, specifically the High Republic era. Um, now, you may be asking, what the hell is the High Republic era? For that, I will turn to my wonderful friend Jacob. Jacob, tell us a little bit about the High Republic era, this new era for the new lore in Star Wars. How did it come about? Uh, what does it mean? Just give us kind of an overview of what we're talking about here. Sure, uh, absolutely. So, first and foremost, when... When Disney did take over, um, I want to say I know the acquisition actually happened in like 2012, and I want to say they started making different moves around 2014, 2015, right to the lead up of The Force Awakens. Mm -hmm. um, before then, and yes, this is kind of a long-winded answer. I apologize, but if you've listened to the podcast at all, you know me, um, mm -hmm. and this is actually important. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's. I mean, we're talking about the expanded lore of Star Wars. Um, true. This kind of yeah. stuff is to be expected. That's true. Um, when Disney took over, one of the things that they had said was that they were the sequel trilogy, as we now know, six years later, um, was going to be set thirty years after Return of the Jedi. Thus, meaning that basically every New Republic, everything post Return of the Jedi that had been published before is now technically null and void or in a more polite way called legends, um, which is what the terminology, if you ever see a Star Wars book now, I actually have one right here, um, where at the very top it'll say legends. That means it's not technically part of the actual canon now, but obviously there's still plenty of really good books, um, and we'll be going more into those later. I'm not going to go too much into those now. Um, and for the New Republic stuff, that made sense. However, there was a lot of books and a lot of different stories, uh, video games particularly with uh, games like Knights of the Old Republic, that were focusing on storylines that took place even before The Phantom Menace. And for a lot of people, they didn't really understand, well, I understand you want to make new stuff for The New Republic, but why does The Old Republic go away? Well, me personally, for a long time, I wanted – I was curious about that too because I was like, okay, so Exar Kun, Darth Bane, um, uh, Ulla Keldroma, Darth Nihilus, Darth Revan, Malak, Bastila, any of these older, high, older public characters, are they still canon? And 
some of them yes, some of them no. They're still kind of iffy on some of that. However, something that they did give us with this is the High Republic. So I I think what I looked up was around 2017, 2018. Um, Kathleen Kennedy, the main producer, kind of head of Lucasfilm um, with Disney, um, brought in five different writers. Uh, Charles Soule, who we're talking about today. Claudia Gray, who has written multiple different Star Wars books leading up to this. Um, Kevin Scott, who uh, has written prior to this a lot of, I think, some Doctor Who stuff and a couple other things. Um, but then uh, he has taken over um, in his in recent years over the star or a lot of the Star Wars comics. And then two people that I was brand new to were Justina Ireland and Daniel Jose Older. Those five writers were brought in and basically were told, we want to do a story set before Fan The Phantom Menace. Go. And the story that they have brought to us is The High Republic. Uh, the story takes place roughly, and and trust me, if you find, depending on the teaser image or trailer, whatever you find, you will hear different years on this. However, I literally just looked this up about 30 minutes ago because I knew this was going to be something we talked about on the podcast. Um, it takes place roughly 200 to 250 years before The Phantom Menace. Um, yes, that's what lot, I found too in my research. Okay. A lot of older stuff, like when they first started talking about – it was called Project Luminous back then. Um, and a lot of the early stuff where they talked about that, they talked about the High Republic mentioned like a thousand years. So like a lot – or like – 800 to a thousand years prior. So a lot of people were like, Oh, so like Yoda is just now an apprentice or, so, or something like that. Um, and for the longest time I kept thinking that. And then the more I read and the more I kind of started paying attention to the world around it, I was like, okay, they kind of, I think, I think something, something's a bit different. And of course I looked it up and then that kind of explained it a little bit better. Um, but yeah, so a lot of the Jedi, and the High Republic is a lot of the Jedi is the first book. It's really the whether you were talking about the comics, books, uh, the audiobook, um, any of the stories, a lot of the Jedi is where I would start. Um, there are technically, if you really want to just do a massive deep dive into it, um, there are short stories in the Star Wars Insider magazine that do lead up to Light of the Jedi. I have not read those. Star Wars Insider is actually kind of hard to find unless you just order it right offline. Um, so I have not had a chance to read those. I've heard they're good. They're all by the same people. Um, and as we'll talk about, the storyline works really – flows really well together with all the different books that come out. Um, and Al had actually mentioned that there are three books now. There's actually – I want to say eight um, because they did these – so you have your three main series books with Light of the Jedi and then The Rising Storm and then the most recent was The Fallen Star by Claudia Gray. Um, but there's also these kind of side stories that are – it's it sounds rude. A lot of time, a lot of people have the stigma about young adult novels being like not as good or not worth reading. However, I'm here to tell you that doesn't really count here. The only ones I didn't pick up were the ones that were literally written. They were like The Light of the Jedi and The Rising Storm, but adapted for like children. 
Um, those are the ones I didn't read because those are the exact same stories, just with certain elements taken out, um, which we'll go more into here in a little bit. Um, but basically, if, if it's a higher public book, trust me, it's it's worth reading. Um, I haven't read all of them just yet, but I have yet to read something that was higher public that I did not enjoy. Um, so, yeah. And Light of the Jedi, like I said, that, that is what I would start off with. If you're reading the comics and you're kind of skipping ahead, it kind of helps to have read the books in, or, in the order that they came out in. Um, certain characters will show up and you'll be like, oh, I don't, I don't know who this is. But – and there will be certain events that they mention. However, that being said, they've done they've done a pretty good job where those are in the same universe – but they are just separate enough that they're not spoiling each other. Um, I haven't read some of the most recent stuff. With the way certain things end at the end of book two, I don't know how they could talk about um, about the universe as a whole without spoiling things. So that might be a little iffy. But if you really want to do this uh, the right way, like I said, Light of the Jedi is where you start. And uh, yeah. And it's and it's fantastic. And it's definitely worth checking out. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And as we go on um, and do multiple episodes of stuff, and even when we do on um, this episode, uh, we'll have some points where we talk about you know um, all this stuff sounds really cool. Um, you know, um, if you're somebody who's unfamiliar with reading this kind of expanded universe stuff, we'll talk about. Um, some good points to jump on. Uh, we'll talk about some reading orders as well. Because believe me, I was just like um, you all out there, the people who have not read a lot of Expanded Universe stuff, I was just like you like as early as last year. And it can be a lot <laughs> to kind of sift through and figure out Absolutely. where one era ends and the other begins, where to read um, this certain thing or when to read this other thing. Um, so we will have some help. Um, for you for sure because it can be a lot but um uh with some guidance um uh, a lot of this stuff is really really cool and definitely worth um uh, just taking the time uh to sit down and read um a few things out of it but and um, also if, if if i if i may real quick um if you all have any questions or anything that you guys are more interested in hearing about um we currently have the first year pretty much set on what we're talking about each month However, if it's like a quick question that we could answer in the first like 10 minutes or so, I would love to hear from you all. And I'm, I'm assuming mm -hmm. Al would as well. For sure. Um, to talk to talk to you all about Star Wars and about the things that maybe you want to hear more about. So maybe, like I said, you know, you read The Light of Jedi. Now you want to know where to go next. What comics do you read? Because there are a lot of different comics out there. And they're all written by names that might seem familiar. But where do you start? Um, like, like Al said, and we would be happy to talk about different things like that. Um, also there's a lot of random things that will happen in a star Wars book that you're like, I don't really understand this. And maybe we can help you understand with certain things. Uh, I will readily admit there are certain things that happen that I don't understand. So maybe we'll learn together more so on that one. But, uh, but yes, I, I just wanted to say that just hit us up on, on, on the social medias, uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, if you want to follow us on Patreon, that, that's always great. All, all Patreon questions will get instantly to the top of that queue. Let me tell you that. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah. Sorry, keep going now. My bad. No, no, that's great. 
It's a great idea. Um, also, I just want to um, extend that offer to other things um, as well. Um, I'm not just on the Star Wars series. If you have a general question about a fandom that you don't know where to start, um, just holler at us. Um, if you want to just be like, um, hey, Al, I wanted to get into Spider-Man comics and I picked up volume seven of Spencer's run and I don't understand, um, I don't blame you. Um, and I'll be, <laughs> I'll, be happy, I'll be happy to help you out with that. Um, so yeah, for sure. Um, but um, so um, as we said, um, we are doing The Light of the Jedi um, the first of the main series of books in the High Republic era for Star Wars. This is the new canon. This is the stuff that's being accepted as canon um, for Star Wars now. Um, so no better place to start. Also, um, I just found this out when um, I booted everything up to record. Uh, we just passed um, the anniversary um, of this book uh, yes. this month. Um, this came out on, uh, this was published originally January 5th of 2021. So happy anniversary, The Light of the Jedi. Woo! Uh, happy anniversary, Charles Soule. This is yeah. This is huge for him. I'm happy for that guy. He's yeah. Great. Um, all right. So let's get into it. Um, we will be um, t- talking about the story, talking about the characters. If you haven't read this book and want to before you get spoiled on things, then for sure this is a good place to hit pause, read this book, um, and then come back afterwards. If you don't really care about getting spoiled, then then hop right in. All right. So. Um, this book, there's a few things I want to talk about it. I really enjoyed the light of the Jedi and Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it for both the story content as well as, uh, as well as the style of writing. And, um, the latter point is one I want to get into first, because I imagine we'll have plenty of time to talk about the story and the characters afterwards. But, um, Jacob Charles soul writes this in a way where it's very fast paced um, from the very beginning of the book, mm-hmm. um, he just kind of throws you in there, um, and and things are happening. There's an emergency happening. You're getting introduced to a lot of new characters, and you're hopping from chapter to chapter. Um, the way he writes it, the average chapter is only about I want to say seven to ten pages long, mm-hmm. even that sometimes. Um, and he changes perspective a lot, and that can at times in other things come off as very overwhelming and disorienting. Um, I don't think that's true of this one. I think in a lot of the Jedi, he writes so swiftly and keeps and keeps things turning and, and pumping at a pretty good um, pace where at no point did I really feel overwhelmed or lost. I just kind of felt very engaged because I was just like, okay, I need to see what happens next. I need to see what happens with this character. Um, how did um, just the writing style of the book, how did that kind of strike you at first um did you have any um feelings that changed as you went through the rest of the book uh, uh what kind of are your thoughts about how the book is written well so so the first thing i i will say is that the the first book is split into three parts um uh the other higher public books are not split up that way but i get it um uh, <laughs> it's because with this one like you said Right from the start, Charles Soul is just—he's he, like, "All right, look, we're just we're we're gonna do Michael Bay's Armageddon, but in the Star Wars universe. Just here we go, you know. Just immediately, um, you know, if 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 it's been a while since you read this, or you may have forgotten exactly how it starts, it starts off with, um, 
the ship breaking up within hyperspace because one of the Nile ships was um, blocking the way. And as they tried to avoid it, basically the ship just broke apart, thus meaning that now parts of this giant ship are just being hurled at this planet and other planets around it, um, basically like asteroids, pretty much. So, and and like Al said, um, we're constantly going back and forth between different point of view characters. And I think the only thing I would have changed if if I could is I would have added a cast of characters in the back in the back or an appendices or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I know that would be very you know Lord of the Rings, uh, Game of Thrones esque, but I mean that's that's kind of the only thing I would have suggested they changed in the first book, strictly because, like you said, and Souls are very good about you know keeping the pace really good. Um, but pretty much every chapter, when they would mention a character's name, I had to start thinking back. I was like, okay, now which one is this? Um, and I will admit that because of how swiftly he writes and because of his style and because of really how he – it's it's interesting. There, there are certain moments in this where he establishes – he almost is trying to help you um, because he establishes where they're at or what they're doing very early, like the first – few paragraphs to where if you were confused like I or and a lot of other readers probably would be um, early on that really helps out quite a bit because you know like like you like just off the top of my head when the emergence happens which is what this incident is called you're about to follow two different sets of Jedi um a husband and wife uh, mechanical team, a a ship freighter that is about to try to stop this satellite or something to the effect of it from exploding, and the um, he's not the mayor, he's not a governor, uh, but basically the leader of this planet. Um, figuring out what's going on, trying to run everything together. Those are five very, very inter- interesting stories, five very intricate stories um, that all inter- intersect. And before that happens, though, is when you also start getting these random characters that they might be named, but they're only in there for a couple pages because – and it's very effective. He's trying to show you – He's trying to make sure that you understand that this is a tragedy, what is happening here, because these characters will pop up and you'll be like, oh, I want them to survive. And then all of a sudden, oh, no, an asteroid just killed them like that. That will happen in this book. Um, But because of it, because of that style, I think it works really well. It's very effective for that first part. And it's interesting because when you get to the second and third parts, he kind of starts slowing down a little bit. And I don't know if you noticed this as well. Um, the chapters are a little bit longer because he's spending more time with the different characters because by that point, that's when you're starting to build your cast. And that's when he's like, all right, now we need to focus on these characters. These are the ones we're going to be sticking with. Some of them, even to the, like the second and third books, um, like, I mean, I mean, prime, prime example, someone who is technically a small character in the first book of Ste- uh, Stellan uh, Gios is literally the main character in the second book. Um, and so far leading into the third book, he's one of the Jedi masters on the council. Um, 
but uh but i was overall though just really impressed um there wasn't really a point where i felt lost maybe a little overwhelmed like like you said but i was i never felt lost and there was never a point where i really wanted to put it down um i wanted to keep reading the entire time there was never a point where i was like okay i can i can step away from this for a little bit and then come back to it later nope it pretty much grabs you immediately and you can't really put it down until you're done pretty much yeah yeah um i know for me um as you said um i read the first part of the book um i read the first part of the book in one sitting on vacation (laughs) because i was just (laughs) because i was just like okay i need to see what's going on i need to like this is a lot of chaos and I need to see some kind of some kind of resolution um, to everything and see where these characters go. Um, he he does um, a really good job. You kind of alluded to it, where um, he brings up a lot of characters, and not all of them are characters you spend a super long time with, um, and not all of them um, survive the great disaster, um, as it's called in the book. Um, um, and it brings a lot of weight and it brings like an odd amount of realism um, to the events as well. Because yeah. when these kinds of disasters and tragedies happen, you know, not everybody is going to come out of it. And when you give them names and when you show them kind of interacting with different things, um, it adds a lot more weight and a lot higher stakes to this event that's happening that they have to contend with and they have to stop so that you really start to feel, you know, yeah, I hope they save everybody they can because we've seen um, a lot of the people. And and by giving them just a little bit of time and just and revealing just a little bit of their character, um, he does a good job of, of kind of forcing you to care about these like very small characters who might only be on the page for um, a couple pages. But uh, by the time you switch perspectives a few times, um, you're just kind of like, oh, boy, I sh- sure hope the bartender that <laughs> Heaven Tar was talking about is okay. Like, because she, she felt like a real person. Um, and so you get very much invested um, in that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, he does a great job. It does um, slow down a bit as you get into parts two and three. But on um, the first part, I think it was a good decision to make it so fast paced um, because it really kind of hooks you in and it really helps you kind of feel um, on the gravity and the, the tension of the situation that he's writing about. Um, so yeah, he did a great job with that, especially that first part. I like the whole book, but like that, um, what a way to introduce um, a new era of star Wars yeah. is to just kind of slap you in the face and just be like, okay, better keep up. Like <laughs> this is it. Um, but yeah, a um, great job. So, um, so let's talk about, um, on what's going on in that first act. Um, let's talk about, um, the great disaster, the, um, emergence or, uh, uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, as you said, huge O ship flying through hyperspace, mm-hmm. um, just hanging out. <laughs> yeah. Um, just, just just got jacked up like that's that's all it is um and you have parts of it flying out hurtling towards this planet and the system of moons and satellites of this planet um 
it was really refreshing to me, Jacob. It was really refreshing to me that we open up on this new era of Star Wars canon, um, this new blank slate. And the first issue that we see the Jedi have to take care of um, does not involve the Sith. Yeah. Um, that was really refreshing to me. There's even a a line that Charles Soule uses when he's talking about um, Avar Chris when he first introduces her character, who we'll be talking about Avar Chris afterwards um, as well. But um, when he's talking about her, where he's just like... Um, she, she, he places her, her lightsaber at her side. Uh, she kind of sheathes the saber. And he says, um, this problem will not be solved by a lightsaber. And I wish, in my encounter so far with Expanded Universe, both Oda and New, I wish we got more stories like that. Mm. I wish we got more stories where the Jedi were just there to help out various um, situations and um, solve unusual problems because it shows a lot more of the dimensions and the different types of things the Jedi were known for. Like, yeah, they were, like, yeah, we understand. Like, it's a a Jedi, it's a Sith, they've got swords, (laughs) and they fight sometimes. Like, I get that. Um, It was really refreshing to me to see them tackle a problem that they had to think creatively about, that they had to innovate around, that they really had to trust each other and trust in the force in a less common way than what we're used to. Um, what did you think about um, this new type of challenge if, if that we're seeing the Jedi face, especially in Act One, where um, it's it's more about um, how they respond and how they re- and how creatively they react to things instead of just I'm gonna I'm gonna fight that dude and I hope I'm better with my sword than he is. Um, uh, how did you feel as a longtime uh, kind of fan of Star Wars? So as, as a longtime fan, and of course we're gonna be we'll oddly enough we're gonna get more into this in attack of the, in the Attack of the Clones podcast, which is coming up. Um, but a uh, little sneak preview for some for some people there. But it's funny you mention her putting her lightsaber down, okay? And it's funny you mentioned the Jedi's role in this world, okay? Or in, in this in this galaxy at this point of the galaxy. Um, I actually picked I actually picked the book up just just to just to make sure of this because I was I was like I'm pretty sure it takes a while. So for for those of you who don't remember, we are thirty pages in, thirty full pages. Before the Jedi even show up, because of like you said, with the way that this disaster is happening, we want to feel the emotions of the people of 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 how it is a tragedy, why this is happening, so that when the Jedi do show up, it's very effective because it's a it's it's it is a it I mean right here, okay. Uh, Kevin Tarr, the the leader of the world, is trying to get a signal out. He's trying to get any kind of help he can for his people. Okay, and they finally get a signal. They have no idea who it is or what's happening. And then it says, "This is Jedi Master Avar Avar Chris, however you want to say her name. Help is on the way." And then it goes that one thing, hope. And that's the end of chapter three. That's the end of page thirty. That's that right there is what you need to know about the Jedi at this point in time. 
because, like you said, they are not, despite all four of them having their lightsabers out on the cover, and despite them looking awesome and everything, they are so much more than just these gallant warriors. They are genuinely people who want to help keep the peace. Um, A lot of times with the films, especially in the the prequels, and even some of the sequels as well, um, lightsabers are so interesting and so cool that we almost get too much of a good thing. You know what I mean? When And when you look at something like Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi, whenever you see a lightsaber come out, you're like, whoa, like, stuff's about to go down here, you know? But with the prequels and with the sequels and everything, they're they're constantly doing these sword fights and these duels and everything, which don't get me I know that makes me sound like this, an old man who's like, oh, there's too much action in my movies these days. That's not what I'm getting at. Because I think those fights are done very well and everything, but we never, like you said, we rarely got to see moments where we got to see these characters be inventive or think about using the Force in different ways, which is something I really want to talk about here in a little bit. Um, And that's something that's really effective in this book, is that, like you said, there aren't any cloaked Sith around. There's not... um, there, there is this villainous group, but they are very, very different, and I think to great effect, in my opinion, mm. um, because this is a very different kind of problem than, like you said, I need to pull out my lightsaber and duel this guy. It's every single thing. I, I mean, hell, the first part of this, the first part of this book, really, when Loden and Bell, the Master and Apprentice, come across. Uh, those guys basically looting and trying to attack that one uh, embassy or that one house or what, whatever it is. You know what I'm talking about. Um, that's the only time they would they actually pull out lightsabers, uh, if I remember correctly. And that's about 100, 140 pages that are just lightsaber lists, basically. Um, and that's a good thing. Uh, like you said, the them choosing to try to use the force and try to actually figure out how to fix a problem that cannot be fixed with just a lightsaber is a very refreshing thing. And I think even into the second and third books and, and, and the different spinoffs and the comics and everything, I think that's actually very effective. It actually works very well really throughout the entire story, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, as we said, it's, it's gotten to be a rare thing when we see the Jedi have to do something other then hit something with a lightsaber, um, and I think which like, is fun. Don't get us don't get us wrong. It is. I was about to say I'm on the exact same page as Jacob. I think the I think the times when they use their lightsabers are awesome. You know, it's super cool. But we've come to think of Jedi as oh, these are like super soldiers who show up and fight super villains, and like that's what they do. But um, Charles Soule, what he's done with this story has gone so far towards making us rethink that um, and think of them way more as, oh no, they're actually like, they're actually protectors. And protectors don't just protect when there's, you know, some kind of evil threat afoot. They protect when there's a call to protect people. Um, and we see that in this. And for me, as somebody who hasn't read um, as much of you stuff, 
but who has read some and has kept up with shows and movies and all that, for me, it was so refreshing to see them actually have to do something other than show how long they spent um, practicing their lightsaber skills. Um, and like, it really made me rethink what a Jedi meant, um, f- both for this time period and how that may have changed over the years for the time periods, you know, the Clone Wars, the Civil War, the post-Empire stuff, um, how that changed for those time periods that we're a bit more familiar with and we've gotten that kind of idea from. But, um, oh, it was great. It was a great kind of instigating incident to have for um, this new kind of idea of who the Jedi can be. Um, Now, that being said, let's talk about um, the antagonists of this book, because there are antagonists. Um, You find out that um, this band of kind of like, it almost feels like a like religious cult almost, except it's like a religious cult of like anarchy. Um, where it's basically, <clears throat> excuse me, it's basically just a band of space anarchists and marauders, um, who go around, um, and, um, they kill, they destroy and things like that. Um, at first it kind of reminded me of the ravagers from Firefly, um, mm-hmm. in that way. Uh, they just kind of like they're space pirates. Um, but what makes them so dangerous and so unique because you hear that and you think, oh, it's just like a band of like anarchists and space pirates. That should be no issue for the Jedi um, to take care of. What makes them unique and what makes them different and dangerous is that they have a way to undermine the hyperspace routes. Um, and just real quick, Charles Soule is able to make the science and the politics of hyperspace way more interesting than um, than the writers of the prequel films were ever able to make the trade federation and those kinds of <laughs> politic things. Um, way better job here. But uh, I was fascinated. I really was. Um, uh, they're able to undermine the hyperspace routes uh, by these things called paths. And they get their paths from this character who starts out as being um, kind of mysterious character who kind of feels like just kind of a side character at first. And then as the, as the story goes on, um, he becomes something much more. Um, on the three leaders of the Nihil, uh, which is the name of this kind of marauder band, um, get their paths um, from the Eye of the Nihil, which is, again, a very pseudo-religious kind of title for a character named, I'm probably mispronouncing it, but it's whatever, um, for a character named... Arshan Rowe is what I'm going to say. Um, And Arshan Rowe is really interesting because, again, he starts out as kind of a side character almost. He's just kind of the guy who these anarchists get their their spooky, secret hyperspace paths from. Um, And that's what they do. Uh, But Arshan Rowe kind of develops... And you learn more things about him and you learn more that, you know, this title as the eye to give these paths is kind of a, a family-based thing. His father was the eye before him. And then you find out also that he's taking the paths not from some kind of 
mystical like entity. He isn't having like shadowy holocron um, discussions with like a new version of Palpatine who gives him the pass or anything. He's getting them from this older lady, kind of um, a patriarch of kind of a powerful hyperspace family. Um, and he's kind of abusing her. He's he's tricking her in kind of her her Alzheimer's esque kind of senile state, and um, um, it's a bunch of bad news. It's no good. <laughs> it's just no good. Um, Jacob, what were your thoughts about the antagonist of the book, both um, the Nihil as an organization, as an entity, as well as um, Arshon Rowe as kind of like um, this mastermind kind of character behind what they do so so first and foremost um we i have not seen anyone give an official way of how to say his name which is kind of annoying um because i i have said martian because it's it's because uh, it's march then ion so but but martian could could just as just as easily work um who's to that, say <laughs> Who's to say exactly? Who's to say? So someone needs to give an official one on that. Uh, that's that's something I want. Um, but uh, but that's something that's something I want. I want from that. Um, sorry. Um, but but the Nile themselves and and Mar- and Mar- Martian Rowe or however you say his name. And 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 Mari Santeca, the the woman he gets the the paths mm-hmm. from. Yeah, all three of those elements. It was one of the it was one of the first. It was one it was one of the strongest feelings I've ever had for. Damn, I wish I came up with that, mm-hmm. because 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 he, here's the thing. All right, we 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 kind of already talked about and and for the record, I don't want to spend this entire podcast mm-hmm. or this series saying the higher public's really good and everything else that's come out has not been great when it comes to the terminology of the Jedi, because that's not what I'm saying here. But what is so interesting about this book and what makes this series so interesting is that it is a world, it is a a, a universe that we have not seen before. Because like you said, you know, how do you challenge the Jedi? Well, typically it's just been just, oh, someone who uses the dark side. Not really, not with this. Because, mm-hmm. like you said, we are – this is a group that is a scary, very, very scary group because they have figured out how to hack hyperspace lanes. Something that is not only – something that's not only new to us as the readers, but it's new to the people in the universe. Because the entire purpose of the Republic in this point is they are trying to expand the hyperspace lanes um, – further out to the outer rim, basically trying to get as many systems in as they can to strengthen the Republic as a whole. All of that sounds great, except for then you have the Nile who are now hacking hyperspace lanes, thus making everyone terrified and thus making it that no one wants to connect with each other. Sound familiar to the last like year, two years now. Um, it's kind of, kind of nerve wracking, isn't it? Ooh. Ooh, topical. <laughs> topical, yeah. Um, um, but what's interesting about that, because then you have because then you have Marcion Rowe 
as this as this leader, which, like you said, I love how he's introduced. I love that you spend that entire those entire like first two chapters thinking that like like Pan Pan Ida, I think is how you say his name, or Lorna yeah. D. Uh, you you spend the entire time thinking that like the two of them or Cassiv, who who you and I talked about right before the beginning of this, you think that any of the other three are the ones who are really in control here. Mm-hmm. And that Marcion Rowe is going to be this person that you're kind of like, he's kind of an up and comer. Nope, not really. Um, the He is a terrifying villain because he's very intelligent. He's a very complex character. And if you think he's not in control, you're wrong. Um, even into the second and third books, and even into some of the comics and the different things I have read, if you think that Marcion Rowe doesn't have another ace up his sleeve, you're wrong. Um, until really, until that character's dead, I'm going to assume that the galaxy that the galaxy is just in trouble. I'm 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 gonna, I'm gonna level with you, okay? That that's where I'm at right now. Um, especially especially at the end of the Rising Storm, the second the second of the main books. Um, but I love the characters. I, I really did because because like you said, their their organization is very different. It's very interesting. Um, each of the three leaders has like their own clan, and so they're constantly kind of like fighting with each other over who's the best. Um, there's constantly just this like infighting kind of thing where this there's this power this power struggle of who who is considered the best of the three clans. And then, by, of course, by the end of it is when Marcion Rowe kind of takes everything over even more. And by then, it's, well, who does the I um, prefer? So that's not really too much of a spoiler for the later stuff, but that's really kind of how the power struggle continues on, is that after that, it's how can I please the I? Um, and, you know, you I'm so glad you mentioned Mari Santeca. Because when that said Santeca, that sent the, like, 21-year-old lore-loving Jacob into a frenzy. Because for those of you who do not know, in the opening of The Force Awakens, Max von Sadow's character is named Lore Santeca. So, Lore Santeca, you come to find out, and, and the Santeca family are this old this old re- republic family that basically were the ones who first figured out how the hyperspace lanes work okay and you come to find out like and I'm and I'm glad you you brought up how the hyperspace lanes work in this and how the how soul really really explained the science of it and really occasional magic of it um in a very concise interesting way that was not too overbearing in my opinion because hyperspace is basically, like, I mean, officially from this, it's basically you are going through a different place in space and time to end up on the other side of the galaxy, which is why, or wherever else you want to go, which is why whenever there shows another ship shows up in the middle of it, that's why there's a, con- a concern. Um Mari Santeca is, was apparently a savant with the paths and with the with hyperspace her entire life, and I don't know if it's necessarily old age that has brought this on, or if it was just 
she traveled through hyperspace so much that it actually started like affecting her health. But like you said, he is basically just alive just to move um, and to move through hyperspace. That That's her entire existence is hyperspace. Um, so much so that I think it's the second or third chapter that you see Marcian Rowe talking to her where she's like leading his ship through this this elaborate maze of different – of basically wormholes is pretty much what, what it's kind of described as. Um, and he's trying to break her out of it to like break her out of this trance. And she just, she's so into it and she's so into what she's doing that she, she can't even talk. She's basically catatonic pretty much. Um, and that's just an interesting, that's an interesting concept, man. It, it just really is. Um, and, and like I said, the Santecas just in general are interesting because they, they try to go talk to her family Mm-hmm. And her yeah. family, like I, that, like her family. I really want to know more about them. Like, if they did a Santeca book, I would, I would read it in a heartbeat, um, because they, they do not play a role in any of the books that I've read so far, um, which is unfortunate. Um, Mari's and Mari's in later ones, but, but the two of them, the rest of the family doesn't, um, but. Al, it sounds like they're hiding something the entire time that 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 I, oh, think, yeah. I, think, it's, I think it's Elzar and Avar are, are talking to are talking to them, and it sounds like they are hiding or playing or something has happened to where like, like it's almost as if they knew that the Nile were a thing, like they knew that this whole big anti-republic sentiment was happening, and they didn't care. Um. Mm. Like, I mean, there's even a point where they say, like, they kind of say to each other, like, they're talking to each other, like, there's no way she could still be alive, which, you know, kind of speaks to how old Mari Santeca is. But even beyond that, it's like, there's, you know, something's going on. Like, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting. It's interesting the way it's, the way it's written because, and this is, and I'm getting off on a tirade and I apologize. Um, but there's even points in in the current Star Wars book comics, the current Star Wars comics that Charles Soule is writing. They take place in between A New Hope and or excuse me, in between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And what's interesting is like there's moments where they'll mention stuff from the High Republic, and there's a point in there where a where someone from the Santeca family shows up, but it's in like a very like seedy part of the galaxy like it's 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 a place where someone who is known for the higher public shouldn't necessarily be or if they are you're like something's going down like this is like i'm i'm really intrigued to see what they're because i i i don't think that's unintentional i really don't i don't know if any of the other writers have any plans for it but i think charles soul himself is like i think i've got plans for the santeca family you know what i mean so I'm 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 really intrigued to see where that goes from here. That that's just my uh, my little uh, uh, my little tirade, my little uh, understanding of wanting to see more of them. But but to answer your question, after a long discussion, um, bottom lines, I love the Nile. I thought they were fantastic antagonists for the Jedi, um, and Marcion Rowe is absolutely terrifying as a, as an antagonist. Um, so yeah. Yeah, it was, um, it does, 
it does a couple of of really smart things with the antagonists. Um, I think um, it does it does something where um, I kind of imagine when Charles Soule was writing this and drafting the general outline, and it came to the point where he was just like, okay, who is the antagonist of the book going to be? And with um, the Nihil, he thought about you know who the Jedi are, especially at this era of time. Who the Jedi are, and the Jedi have always been for peace and order uh, within the Republic, within the galaxy, right? Order and peace. What more perfect choice could there be for an antagonistic group than a group that is all about anarchy and destruction? Um, I thought it was like, in hindsight, it's just like, oh, yeah, that's an obvious choice yeah for sure mm. but again i always come back to we have been basically trained and conditioned um by star wars over the years <laughs> to expect it to be the sith like <laughs> like we've just come to expect that and for charles so to just be like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna use this like band of essentially just space pirates just guys who like to kill and destroy things uh, because that's a perfect counter to the ideology of who the Jedi are. Uh, and it's such a natural fit and like it made sense. Um, and then you get into kind of the depths of the Nihil and who Arshan Rowe is. And, um, and speaking from personal experience and when I was reading the book, uh, when we get to the part where he has where he has Anteka and like this this pedical pod um essentially and he's trying to break her out of the pads and she's just kind of lost and just kind of in there doing her own thing um and he hits a he hits a button on the pod that shocks her and basically like convulses her body um and then, like, he talks all sweet to her, and he um, he talks to her and, and tricks her with, like, her, her old age and, um, and things like that. Um, it was at that point where, when I was reading the book, um, as somebody who recently had a grandmother pass last year who um, had Alzheimer's and currently has um, a grandmother right now who's alive still but is, is just ravaged by Alzheimer's, um, it was at that point where my feelings for Arshon Rowe went from, oh, this guy's interesting. I wonder what kind of character he's going to be in the grand scheme of things to, boy, I can't wait for this guy to die. Um, it was it was so quick and it was so effective of a way <laughs> to introduce um, who's really the main villain of the story um, for Charles Soul to just be like, Okay, I need a villain, I need a competent villain, and I need a villain who is easy for people to rally against. I'm going to have him abuse a senile elderly person. Um, and it was super effective, because like, as soon as that happened, I was just like, okay, I'm ready for like the Jedi to find this guy. Like, I'm, I'm ready now. Like, let's, let's, let's skip to that part. Um, and it was just really, really well executed. Um, and then like we are left now, um, I'll tell for everybody who's listening, 
Jacob is farther ahead in the series than I am. Um, well, we go ahead, I'm skipping ahead a little bit to the end of the book, where Arshan Rowe has captured, or has had um, the High Hill at least, capture and imprison um, Odin Greatstorm, who's this super cool pastor of the Jedi. Um, he has him imprisoned. Um, Roe gets his lightsaber. There's um, a little part in one of the chapters where Marshawn Roe is like is using the lightsaber and is able to wield it uh, very acutely and very dexterously. Um, for me, that kind of raises some questions about who he really is, about what kind of possible training he's had. Um, some questions about you know is Roe possibly connected. To, to the Sith in some way, um, you know, how is he so apt with a lightsaber? Just things like that. Um, a lot of questions um, that I haven't found the answers to yet for me personally, just where I've read. But um, just really a great example of how to make a an effective antagonist. Because we see him, he's he's crafty, He's intelligent, and he's very cruel. And um, those are three, for me, three of the most interesting things to have a villain be. Um, is very is very competent, very intelligent, very cruel. Um, and also, I just love characters who are really smart. <laughs> and Marshawn Rowe is very smart. And we haven't always had people in Star Wars stuff be particularly smart, especially on like the evil side. There's been a lot of stuff I've read or watched or experienced where I've just kind of been like, I wonder what this guy is trying to do. Or like, I wonder what like, you know, this person expects to happen <laughs> with the way they act. But as you said, um, at no point did I feel like Roe was ever um, starting to lose control. At no point did I think he was kind of improvising or doing things as they went. Um, he felt like a person who had planned, who had planned very carefully and was very intentional about what he did. And for me, that makes a really, really intriguing bad guy. Um, but yeah, now I'm um, going from there, talking about the characters there on the antagonistic side. Uh, Jacob, I want to ask you just because I'm really curious all the characters that are introduced in Light of the Jedi, um, who among all this big cast of characters, who would you say is your favorite character in this book? Hmm. That's, that's a rough one, man. It, it really is. Um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what though. Okay. And, and it's rough now because I've seen where certain characters go. You know what I mean? Um, sure, sure. in that book though, and the first one for, for me, it's for me in a lot of ways, just because I, there's so much I love about him. Uh, it's gotta be Burry Yaga, who is, yeah. a Wookie, who is a Wookiee Jedi. Okay. I love that. Um, so, so first and foremost, um, I, I want to give a shout out to, um, a good friend of ours, both, both of ours. End of the podcast, um, and that's Micah Huber, um, because I cannot 
watch certain scenes of Star Wars or certain people use their lightsabers without the thought process of <laughs> why don't they just go down and cut their hands off because they don't have cross guards. It's a good well, question. As you'll see in a lot of of the High Republic, and as you'll see, um, especially with I mean, Burry Yaga has a cross guard on his lightsaber. Um, Stellan Gios is another person who has a cross guard on his lightsaber. There are still certain ones who don't. So I'm actually curious if eventually we'll go more so into the different lightsaber styles and why certain people use certain ones. Um, that's actually something I would like to see more of in a in the modern canon is a discussion of the different lightsaber styles and kind of if they have changed from a lot of the older stuff or how they have changed, um, especially as we are getting more stuff like cross-card lightsabers, double-bladed lightsabers, so on and so forth. But that's a whole other thing. Anyways, Buryaga is also really interesting because they talk about how the Force is something different for every Jedi in this. Um and they don't go into it with every one of how every single different person sees it, but the three primary ones are Buryaga, uh, Avar Chris, and Elzar Man. They talk about how so Elzar Man sees it as an ocean, um, as in we have never really seen the entire depths of the Force, and so there is so much different stuff that we could still do with the Force that we have no idea what's really going on with it. All of that is really really interesting. Plus, it plays into the idea of learning new force powers later, i.e., the fact that by this point in canon, they don't know how to, they don't know for, how force ghosts work. Okay, so that's something that in El, that to Elzar Man would be considered something else that's on the bottom of that ocean that we do not know about the force yet. That's a really interesting idea. Avar Chris sees it as a song um, that we are all adding our harmonies to. Which is really, really interesting, and I really like that idea, especially with her main power of how she is able to connect everyone. She's basically – think kind of how um, – she's basically like a like a Star Wars telepath pretty much, um, but like a really strong version of it. Um, and both of those things play in to a really interesting effect whenever they're trying to move this one ship – and she literally connects the entire Jedi Order. Like, not just, like, the ones that are on that planet, but, like, the entire Jedi Order is pretty much there uh, helping them move this giant ship with the Force, which is really, really cool. Um, but to say all that, um, Buryaga is a Wookiee Jedi who is an empath, basically. Um, his his ability his primary abilities is that he senses other people's emotions. He senses people around them. He, which is really interesting for a Wookiee, considering a Wookiee cannot speak uh, basic or common or English or whatever whatever you want to call it. Um, they can only speak Tree Wook, and so it's really interesting that he is someone who can constantly feel and understand people in a in a way, but has no real way of actually technically communicating with them unless they already know how to speak to him. Um, but he's also the one who realizes when the great disaster happens, he's the one who realizes that these aren't just asteroids. These aren't just, um, this isn't just debris. These are pieces of a ship and there are people inside and we need to try to help the people. That is a really, really good moment. It's really interesting. Um, I also like that he's, like he's the first one to he's the first one who suggests trying to help 
trying to help the people um, and how to help them. If I, if I remember correctly, he's the one who starts talking about how we could possibly do this. Because basically what happens, if you if you don't remember, is they figure out that they're going to have to slow a piece of a ship that is hurling down towards this planet down with the force. They're going to have to slow it down with the force. And this husband and wife couple are basically going to have to grab it with these uh, clamps with their ship and then try to bring it in for as soft a landing as they can. Sounds almost impossible. Really, really cool moment in the book, though. And they keep doing it. They save a bunch of people. But that's all because of Buryaga. And that's why Buryaga is probably my favorite of the characters in this book. Um, he's not in the second book as much. If I, if I remember correctly. He's got some pretty good interesting moments. Um, but he's not in it as much. He is almost certainly going to play a bigger role in the third book. I'm only about 100 pages in, but he's already been in it a lot more because um, him and Bell become really close, actually. Um, so, yeah. But it's – Buryaga is my favorite character in this first book. He's really, really good. Yeah. Yeah, that's an excellent choice. Um, he's <laughs> – um, I'd probably say he's my second favorite, if not my favorite, just because um, I do love – that um, as you said, that his special gift is that um, he's really in tune with the emotions of others. Um, just because, from what we've seen of the Jedi in like the Clone War era, um, that would have been a very useful gift to have. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which man only... would have saved Anakin. That that's what we're getting if, at here. <laughs> yeah, if, if only he had been born like. <laughs> <laughs> like 200 years later, um, things would have gone very differently. But um, no, instead, in the Clone Wars era, you just have a bunch of selfish assholes on the on the Jedi Council. <laughs> <laughs> so he was great. He was uh, he was awesome. I do love the idea of a Wookiee Jedi. Um, that's just that's just awesome. Um, I love the Wookiee so much. As we're recording this, I'm wearing um, a Ubacus Huggy that uh, my cousin Judah gave me for Christmas. Um, yes. So thank you, Judah. Um, I love the Wookiees. Um, but no, he's awesome. Um, if I had to go with one character who's probably my favorite, um, I'm actually going to go with a non-Jedi character. I'm going to go with Kevin Tarr. Um, because as I said before, Kevin Tarr, um, is very intelligent. That's kind of his main characteristic. That's what he shows the most as the story goes on. He's very intelligent. He's kind of a genius. Um, at one point, Avar Chris um, is talking about what happened um, <laughs> during uh, the Great Disaster. And she's just like, fortunately, there was just a genius pr prodigy talent there, Kevin Tarr who figured out what was going on mm -hmm. um, and sent out like a message uh, to us that we intercepted. But um, he's great. He's awesome. Um, I really, I think the idea of heroic characters in Star Wars who do not use the force um, is really interesting. It's kind of like heroic characters in superhero comics who don't have any superpowers and they get by with just what their natural talents are and just their desire to do good and to help. Um, and Tar, to me, is a perfect example of that. 
just uh, his ability to innovate, to be creative. Um, he creates the huge, I don't even know how to describe it, just the huge <laughs> system of droids. Yeah, it's like a supercomputer, basically, is what he's yeah, doing. Yeah, <laughs> just interconnects to each other and allows him to plot where future incidents of the emergence are going to happen. Um, I don't know about everybody else. That was one of my favorite parts of the book, mm-hmm. was seeing him, like, because I felt that so much of, like, I used to run experiments. Um, I'm in college when I was in um, those programs. And people who have done that kind of stuff before know that 100% when you're running an experiment, when you're trying to get something done um, well, everything that could possibly go wrong is going to go wrong. (laughs) (laughs) That was a very real passage of the book for me because I was just like, yeah, dude, I've been there. Like everything's going to overheat. Like things are going to screw up. People are not going to show up. Like you're going to have problems that you just didn't even expect to have. Like I get it. Absolutely. Um, But on the fact that he was just, he was just a really smart dude. And um, I think the main thing I love about him is that at any point with like how smart he was with what he had already accomplished, he could have just like screwed off to go be somewhere else and have like a really successful career um, and, and not be a part of all this. But at every step of the way, uh, Kevin Tarr was guided by what can I do to help out? Like, all of these Jedi are doing their force things that I don't understand. What can I do to, to improve things and to help people? Um, and to me, that's a, that's a terrific character that he isn't held back or limited by the fact that, you know, I'm not this, um, crazy, awesome Jedi who has this, um, mysterious spiritual force that, I can use whenever I want to and stuff. I'm just a dude who happens to be smart, but I'm going to do whatever I can to help as many people as I can. Um, and he was just a really bright spot um, for me throughout the book. Um, he's great. Um, all right. So we've talked about kind of what happens in the book. We talked about the characters, the factions at play, uh, what Charles Soule has kind of done for the High Republic era. Uh, we're going to close on this episode. Um, but before we go, I want to do something that um, hopefully will become kind of a hallmark of this series. Um, as I said, we're talking about everything in the series. We're talking about books, comic books, video games, shows, we're talking about old canon. We're talking about the new canon. We're talking about everything. And when we try to tackle something as large and as expansive as the star wars expanded universe is kind of have to start to think you know what parts of it um do i like what parts of it are good what kind of parts of it are impactful um what kind of parts aren't as good and we can kind of do without um and what parts are kind of essential to understanding what star wars is so to close us today, I want to ask my very good friend and fellow Star Wars fan, Jacob Vance Hardesty. Mm. Um, I want to ask him, would you accept Star Wars A High Republic if you were the grand, grand official um, for what Star Wars is and, and how it should be understood? 
would you expect uh would you accept light of the jedi by charles soul into your what i'm calling grand canon which yes sounds like grand canyon that's inten- that's intentional that's the joke uh, would you accept uh the light of the jedi into your grand canon would you accept this as a tale as a story as a source of lore that you think would be um an important part if not an essential part of understanding what star wars is and how to be um a fan of everything that star wars can be or is this something that like uh, you think eh, it's all right i'm not sure if it's something that like has to be engaged with but it's all right or is this something that you're just like screw this story screw these characters you don't need to know anything about them where does the light of the jedi kind of fall on the grand canon spectrum for you so for me it's essential um hands down um for a few reasons one and it's it's mostly stuff we've already discussed so it's gonna be kind of me uh continuing on but um one as we discussed it gives it gives the Jedi something else to do besides swing their lightsabers around um, mm. or, or sit or sit around and be, and be rude to a boy who very clearly has mental issues. Um, <laughs> and that's something that's necessary in my opinion. Um, I think that the, the older I've gotten and the more I've watched star Wars, rather from, Thinking of the prequels, thinking of Luke's thoughts on them, and the la- and the Last Jedi, which I know is a point of contention for a lot of people, but I like it. Um, in fact, I love it. Um, of his thoughts of the Jedi Council during during that time, in my opinion, this story, what I think it's going to ultimately lead to, is the last the last time it was good to be a Jedi, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that might seem rude to a lot of people. I know a lot of people are going to be like, oh, no, I love Mace Windu and Yoda and Attack the Clothes or Avenger the Sith, where where literally no one is going to help Anakin except for Obi-Wan, and they send him to the other side of the galaxy. Um, you know, I it you know, that that that's that's another podcast entirely to talk to talk about that. But for me, it is important to see the Jedi when they were when they were the grouping that Obi-Wan is talking about in, in A New Hope, when they were the last, uh, the guardians of peace uh, and the galaxy, you know, and that's the whole point of, especially this first book. Um, but even beyond where the Jedi Order is and that, the the way they describe the Force and really kind of how everyone sees the Force differently and how the Force works is something that, in my opinion... In my opinion, if you're talking about the Jedi and you're not bringing that aspect into it as much, you're really missing out on a lot. Um, consistently, a lot of people love the Mortis trilogy in Dave Filoni's Clone Wars uh, saga, mm. and it's true. And 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 it's mainly – and in my opinion, it's because it's a mysterious and very interesting storyline that goes into what the Force truly could be. That's where this book falls in. And that's and, and and in my opinion, that's why this is essential because it shows you where the Jedi should be, it shows you what the Force could be, and it shows you a group of antagonists that 
are willing to challenge the Jedi in ways that we haven't seen them challenge before. So for me, it is 100% essential. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, I'm going to go with essential as well. And it's interesting because I kind of like the reasons why I would include it, the grand canon, if you will. I really hope that becomes a thing. I'm I'm sticking (laughs) with it. I'm I'm, I'm I'm going to work with you. Hell yeah. All right. Uh, But, um, and the reason I would, um, I'm as in line with you because I think it does a lot of important things as far as our understanding of who the Jedi um, are and who they have been. Um, and it's interesting you talk about, you know, this is what the Jedi could be. This is what they should be. You know, this is the last time it, it was good to be a Jedi. And it's interesting because um, some of the things I got from this book were on the same path as that, but also starting to peek over the edge of where we know the Jedi are going to end up at. And that's Mm -hmm. just because I think Charles soul was careful with how he did this, but he was also very intentional with showing the human side of the Jedi as well. Um, And you see this in a lot of places. You see this with the, um, um, the really interesting kind of relationship uh, between Avar Chris and Azal Man. Mm-hmm. Um, how, like, there's obvious, I could just be crazy, but to me, there's obviously um, a, a an air of romance within their relationship, which mm-hmm. obviously isn't okay with the Jedi. And the Jedi have their reasons for that, and they both come to a place where they're just like, okay, we know who we are. We know this isn't a path we can go down. However, we can't fully, completely just erase that part of who we are and and that part of of how we feel for each other. Um, I thought that was fascinating. I thought that was a really, really great small part of this book um, is that um, kind of relationship between them. Um, Because, again, we see that come up in the future. Um, uh, We see that come up with Anakin, obviously. We see that come up um, some with Obi-Wan, um, if you watch the Clone Wars, um, you see that come up. Um, I mean, Rebels as well. I mean, um, this idea that even at their top, even at the peak of who the Jedi were, we see these same issues and these same struggles um, still be a part of who they are and still be a part of their identity, um, which I th- thought was really interesting. Um, when uh, when Great Storm um, and Bells and Afar um, go and um, go and rescue uh, um, the family, um, uh, the Jedi um, they go with his name is like escaping me right now for some reason. But, Porter uh, Ingle because he's awesome. Yes, yes. So um, <laughs> he's, he's awesome, right? He's an awesome character. Um, when Charles So goes through the descriptions of what he's doing throughout um, the different scenes. Uh, this is obviously a very wise Jedi, very experienced Jedi. Um, when he finds out that he may have to, you know, unsheath his lightsaber and be, um, and be a combatant and be a warrior again, his visage kind of changes, and the way he acts kind of changes, 
And it's, and to me, I took that almost as like a not super intense, but also not stereotypical kind of depiction of a little bit of PTSD for him. Um, his, his awareness that like, you know, when I use this lightsaber, then people die. And for me, that's not this, this awesome, oh, I'm so cool. I'm one of the best Jedi ever things. That's a very solemn, somber thing that I have to contend with. And we see again, that human side of who the Jedi are, um, and, and the weight that their responsibilities carry, uh, we see that come up as well. Um, so for me, if you really want to like, if you want a good sense of who the Jedi were, as you said, of what of the Jedi could be of like this standard that, um, a lot of um, the old stuff kind of showed the Jedi kind of striving towards and eventually failing at, um, then yeah, this is an essential book. This is just something you have to engage with to really understand what it meant to be a Jedi, uh, both the good and the, the peaks as well as the valleys and like on the issues and struggles that they had for sure. Um, I was just really impressed with what, um, so was able to do with this, but, um, yeah, for sure. So y'all heard it here first folks, this one first episode marks our first entry into our grand canon that we will be assembling um, over time. Um, and that concludes it for The Light of the Jedi. Um, everyone, you should go read this book. This book's a blast. Like, uh, I'm assuming if you're listening to this episode, you're a Star Wars fan. Um, it's a lot of cool Star Wars stuff. Uh, but on the off chance that you aren't a Star Wars fan, um, there's enough in it different from what we're used to uh, with Star Wars stuff that I think you'd enjoy it. Um, it might uh, turn you into a believer, for sure. Um, all right, y'all. We... Are not done. Um, in February, we are doing another episode of this. We're doing one every month at least. In February, uh, we're changing it up a little bit. We're doing um, the old Clone Wars series that is on Disney Plus. Um, you can check it out. It's the one with uh, the hoodie d- 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 animation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff <laughs> in that cartoon. Um, it's consolidated into like um two very long um like animated films um essentially uh the last time i checked at least on disney plus so um those are a lot of fun um if you aren't one who reads very much this is one you can just kind of sit um and watch an experience and get everything you need to out of it um and then follow along with us on the next episode but for the time being i want to thank um jacob uh, for going on this adventure with me um i appreciate it my brother and um, I want to thank all of you out there who, who choose to hang out with us. Um, I say this every time I host an episode. There's tons of stuff you could be doing, tons of podcasts to listen to, tons of streamers to hang out with. Um, it means a lot that you choose to um, spend time with us and the things we do. Um, so thank you very much for that. Um, so without further ado, thank you very much. Uh, may the Force be with you. Uh, Phantom is for everyone, including... Those those rap scallion Star Wars fans out there. So um, we thank you again um, and have a great day. <laughs>